I'm Linnea, and I like Death by DVD. It's a statement. Do you ever fantasize about listening to Hank? Whoa! This is Radio Land. You are listening to Death by DVD. I am your host, Hank, and this episode is all about Fulci for Fake, from 2019, written and directed by Simone Scafidi. Fulci for Fake serves as a documentary, a biography, and, to an extent, a narrative film about the life of Lucio Fulci. All these things mixed together at first sounds a bit abrasive, but in the long term, what you have is a very articulate and very emotional, something that is not just a fan service, but I think something that serves and stands as its own piece of art with its own integrity. Though mostly, it feels like a documentary. As you watch these people, you almost forget that they are just brilliant people in front of you. The the movie is filled with some of the greatest Italian filmmakers of all time. You've got Sergio Salvati, you've got Michela Suave, Fulci's personal assistant, for the first time on screen ever discussing the man himself, both of his daughters, Antonella and Camilla. It's a very heartfelt and emotional ride, one which I did not think I was going to go on at by any means at all. I did not think anything. I didn't think anything of the sort would happen. But this is where we need to take a step back from Fulci for fake, and let's start and begin this with talking about Lucio Fulci himself for a little bit. Because not everyone that listens to this show may be incredibly familiar with the man. I call him the maestro. Everyone should call him the maestro. Uh, It seems that many people that fondly still remember him call him the maestro Lucio Fulci, and that's my preference. I like to call him that. I feel he deserves the utmost esteem and respect when it comes to his chosen form of art, which was filmmaking. My favorite form of art, and I think Lucio Fulci is one of the most exquisite filmmakers, not just only of his time, but I think in general. A sentiment many, many fans of Lucio Fulci share And at some point, if we don't get all over the place and bounce around like a tennis ball, we will talk about that. We will talk about being a Fulci fan. We we might just get into it in a little bit here discussing who he is. Now, as Fulci for Fake is not an incredibly in-depth biography of the man, I am not going to do that either. If you're not familiar with him, Lucio Fulci was an Italian filmmaker born in 1927. He passed away in 1996, and he is responsible for some of the hallmark of the horror genre, especially around 1979 to 1982. Some people will say 1979 to 1984 were the peak years, but although there are very infamous movies in Lucio Fulci's catalog that may be better, that doesn't mean they're the most significant, nor does it mean that they feature any actual Lucio Fulci, which is something we'll get into in a little while because that's really the base of Fulci for Fake and what the heart of Fulci for Fake is. Lucio Fulci is a man that is surrounded by myths, most of which were perpetuated while he was still alive, something that's quite remarkable. You usually don't gain a legacy until you're dead, but that's just not how it was with Fulci. And a lot of the things that are very held to be commonplace with him are just absolute fabricated lies from his mouth. For example, Lucio Fulci was not a cardiologist. He did not drop out of school after somebody yelled at him and decided to go to film school. No. Didn't even practice medicine. But for most of his life, he insisted on being called Dr. Fulci. People refer to him fondly as that. In Cat in the Brain, one of his most biographical films, he's referred to as Dr. Fulci. I think there's a golden plaque on his house that just says that. Dr. Lucio Fulci. Now, these aren't bad things. 
It wasn't like he was a psychotic sociopath just making up stories about himself. There's something that lingers within the actuality of who Lucio Fulci is that is how you can get to know him. And how you can get to know him is by looking at, I guess, just that itself. These, these myths, these crazy stories. Nothing about Lucio Fulci that you know, I bet, is true. I went into Fulci for fake thinking that I knew quite a bit about the man. I knew some things here and there. Not everything I knew was myth, but some of them were absolutely huge, blown out of proportion. You have one biography written by Michele Romagnoli, which came out while he was alive. Somebody that became a confidant to Lucio Fulci, also included in Fulci for Fake. Someone that was able to expose and show a lot of beauty and humanity from somebody that otherwise is regarded as an offensive, terrible pervert. And if you don't know who Lucio Fulci is, those are all very invocative words, but he was accused of so much while he was alive, and more so fame and fortune after his premature death. It's unfortunate, especially in that sense, because if only Fulci had known how appreciated he could have been, he would have just made some unfathomable art. Not saying that he didn't do that. If you're not really familiar with him, there are some quintessential films, people will tell you, from 1978, 79, till around 82, 83. Things like The Beyond, Zombie, or Zombie 2, House by the Cemetery. Most people say that Cat in the Brain from 1990 is one of the most biographical works of Lucio Fulci, but I beg to differ. New York Ripper, I think, has a great deal of representation of the man's inner woe, pain, and suffering. Again, some places that we're going to try and travel to later, but if you've ever listened to a Hank show before... It really is like a tennis ball, unsupervised, bouncing around a court. We get all over the place. Half the time we don't get to the places we should have gone to. We'll try. We'll try so hard tonight because I'm excited to talk about this. I have always had a great passion for Lucio Fulci. I think one of the reasons that we do a long, drawn-out podcast every week and a lot of the effort that is sunk into this is because I love the idea of exposing people to things like Lucio Fulci. I love exposing people to exploitation and horror and psychotronic cinema, the weird, the strange, the unknown. Not always horror. It doesn't always have to be horror, but there's some just weird stuff out there in the world that deserves to be seen. I mean... Not everything has some incredibly deep meaning. Not everything has the backbone of Akira Kurosawa. There's absolute gutter trash out there. We all know I'm not the biggest Jess Franco fan, but I think if anyone is more fitting for a title of a purveyor of filth and perversion, it's somebody like him over Lucio Fulci. Although he was very perverse. But there's something to make a notation of, and that's the difference of perversion between these two people. One is a thoughtful nature. One actually has a meaning behind it, and the other one not so much. And I'm not going to name names here, but this is a Lucio Fulci show and not a Just Franco show, so you should be able to figure that one out. I've always considered Lucio Fulci a misunderstood genius, but I think I've always misunderstood his meanings, and I've always looked at his films, I think, inaccurately. And that has all become a thought in my head after seeing Fulci for Fake. I had an opinion that was largely based on myth. Myth not only created by him, because after Fulci died in 1996 and the boom of the internet and his popularity started to rise because of companies like Grindhouse, because of companies like Grindhouse, because of Grindhouse and, and Bob and Sage and Quentin Tarantino, Fulci's fame really started to rise. And of course with that, myths, legends, they even get furthered and get more and more blown out of proportion to... Now I really don't know if anything I've ever learned about the man is actually true. This is where we're going to, I guess, really start entering territory here and, and Fulci for fake. So I, I, I'm sure I did a pretty poor job explaining who this guy was. He's an Italian guy. He directed some movies. Uh, they're all right. By no means necessary 
is Fulci for Fake, the Bible, and the most informative, you'll learn everything. This is the most detailed on Lucio Fulci. You're going to know what his fart smelled like by the end of it. No, that's not true. And you're seeing that a lot. I'm seeing that a lot. I'm sorry. I don't mean to project onto the audience. Am I seeing it? Hank told me I'm seeing it. I'm not quite sure anymore. I'm seeing a lot of people that are promoting this as the end all. You'll know everything. This is every single factoid on Lucio Fulci, and it's not. This documentary biography that also is somewhat a narrative film really focuses on the core years, the quintessential, as it's referred to throughout the film, years of Lucio Fulci, which, as I said, is around 1978, 79 to 82, 83. It really differs when it comes down to taste, but the reason this is referred to as the core years for Lucio Fulci is because of the amount of work that came out. Now, something to note is, before 1980, Fulci had already made 40 films. He began making comedies, he made romantic comedies, all of them. That's just kind of was a musicals, thriller, and terror pictures really didn't begin to enter his filmography until the late 60s or so. And some of them, like Beatrice Cincy from 1969, I think really start projecting and allowing you to see some of what is referred to as Lucio Fulci's trademark, absolute cruelty. But other things were going on in 1969, one of which is really what molded and I think shot Fulci out of a rocket toward the direction he ended up becoming so infamous and well-known for. A lot of people say if Fulci had died in 1969 that his work would have just been unremarkably left behind. And unfortunately, I can't really disagree with that. I can fully admit here, I've not seen the entire collective works of this man. I don't know if a lot of his friends have. I don't know if most hardcore Fulci fans have. Because once you get into the mid-60s, you've got pretty much just comedies and romantic comedies. Fulci's is a legacy that begins in absolute pain. Back to Fulci for fake. The cast includes one of Fulci's former personal assistants, people that had worked with him, musicians, the absolutely insane, brilliant Fabio Frizi, Sergio Salvetti, who ran camera for multiple, some of the best Fulci pictures. I mentioned Michela Suave, somebody I'm very fond of, directed a film called Cemetery Man, uh, Della Morte, Della Mor absolutely wonderful movie. And we've talked about before some of the kind of, I call it, the nepotism of Italian films. A lot of these names are familiar if you've listened to other episodes of the show because all these guys worked for everybody. Suave was out working for Joe D'Amato. In fact, D'Amato produced a Fulci film or two. I love that guy's real name, but I always butcher it. Aristotide Masakizi? Such a cool name. But you can understand why he went by Joe D'Amato. I had mentioned for the first time Fulci's daughters, Antonella and Camilla, both appear in this film. One of the biggest rumors people had always told and you knew about Lucio Fulci is that his daughter and wife died in a car accident. Not true, that's just not how things happen. Camilla appears in the film and talks incredibly thoughtfully, incredibly emotionally about her father. Things that I, I just never imagined about Lucio Fulci, which is something I think is magical about what Fulci for Fake really is and what it stands for. Because as the director hoped, it, it certainly diminishes a bit of the myth, but at the same time it allows yourself to grow a completely different myth and legend and lore of who this man was in your head. Because I'll, I'll just say it, it's always been a very drab and awful picture of Lucio Fulci that's been painted, that he was just a misogynistic, harsh brutal, cruel man that yelled all the time and had a big cloud of cigarette smoke or pipe smoke flowing from over his head and that he just was unbearable to work with, hardly anyone could stand him, and he was just a grumpy old fuck. That's most of the lore and myth that I've always known with Lucio Fulci, and to uh, a lot of extent is where I've gotten to appreciate him of, like, 
Oh man, he's just this grumpy old son of a bitch, but look at the art that he produces. Who hurt you, Lucio Fulci? Who hurt you? Unfortunately, there is an answer to that question, and some of it is true. He was a curmudgeon. He was kind of a, you know what? He really wasn't. He wasn't a curmudgeon, because that really entails somebody that doesn't want to be seen, that doesn't want to be out. Fulci moved around all the time. He was a vibrant kind of guy, and, and inside, he fucking hated everything. He was just crushed. His wife committed suicide in the late 1960s, right around the time that his work took a drastic change, because previously, in early Lucio Fulci films, people, but mostly women, were always presented as, as lively and bubbly. They were comedies, and they were romantic, and there was a happy ending, and things were all okay. And then you move sort of into the, the proto and pre-Jalo years, and there's always an argument of, how, is it really a Jalo that, that Fulci made, blah, 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 I don't care. We're not talking about that. And people become getting colder and shadier, and there's always much more doubt, there's mystique, there is lies, and hatred start getting introduced to it. And then by the end of his career, it was absolute terror, fear, death. The most harsh and invocative of all the emotions. Just just terror. Absolute terror. And personally, I, I think The Beyond is one of the scariest movies and one of the most beautiful movies at the same time. Just devastating. The Beyond, I think, for me is when I first fell in love with Lucio Fulci when I was a teenager. I spent so much time trying to find a copy of this movie, and it, the, the first copy I saw, I don't believe, had the prologue on it, and a lot of stuff was missing. But it was the tone. It was the imagery. It was just this desperate loneliness, this, this soul-crushing sadness that seemed to seep from the edges of the screen as I watched this movie, and it just kind of takes you over. It kind of really changes your point of view. You watch The Beyond, and for a few days, everything's just a little bit different. You look at the sky a little bit differently. And that's when I knew I loved Lucio Fulci. That's when I knew, wow, you know, this is the type of emotion I one day hope I, I can present to people with art. This is something I wish I could do. And, and adoration and idolation sometimes allow you to really look at things differently. So you, you read and you hear from people about how miserable this old sod was and how nobody could get on with him and how just Fulci was, uh, was unbearable. He just was an asshole hated women and was an asshole. You could kind of let it slide because you watched his films and you definitely saw sorrow. And I always felt it was sort of misplaced, I guess, in my opinion. I always just brushed it off. And being able to watch Fulci for fake and being allowed to be almost a part of his world with this cast of characters. And I said at the beginning of this show that it was almost a narrative film. Despite everyone in the movie being themselves and it being a documentary and an interview, it is truly almost like they've become a cast of characters because they all tell something about themselves and their work with Fulci and their lives with Fulci to where you're excited to see them, to where by the end of the film you almost feel as if you've been included familially with these people, as if you were there, as if you were a part of it. You have this almost warmth, but you truly have an understanding of what that loneliness was with Lucio Fulci. He just seemed to have been cursed with bad luck. It seemed that that was, he, he truly did have a cloud of smoke following him around. And really, this documentary starts focusing on Fulci around this time period, because this is really, I don't know, it sounds, it sounds crass of me to say something like this, but this is really where his art took off to a different direction, because unfortunately, the assessments that are made that if he had died before this era, his work really wouldn't have been remembered that well. There is a lot of truth to that. There is a lot of... I mean, he, he could shoot. He had incredible artistic vision. He always knew where to put the camera, and he was good at what he did. 
he could write one hell of a story. It didn't matter if it was horror. He could write, finish, and produce a really excellent story that had a beginning, middle, and end, centralized characters that all go somewhere, arcs, everything. He was a dream. But there was just something personal missing to it. Now, there's two hands of this here. The style of Lucio Fulci. Some people say the style of Lucio Fulci is something that's incredibly specific, and that is pieces of himself that have been, or his family life, or emotion that have been inserted into the film. Some things like that you could never actually see. Some of them were, would always be personal to Antonella and Camilla and, and Lucio himself. You'd never be able to see that. I agree, yes. When you know a little bit about him, if you watch Fulci for fake, you'll totally see his films differently. There is so much to look for. In fact, I, I, I'm going to go back and watch pretty much everything I can because I know what to look for now that I've just, it's blown my mind. And this is some of the excitement. If you are a fan of him, I hope you'd be able to feel with this documentary, not even just a fan of Lucio Fulci, but a genre fan, if you've even just mildly enjoyed his work, this is something that I think is so telling, allows a whole different light, a whole different light to be shown upon the body of work collectively. On the other hand of this, I think there certainly is a fluidity and a style to Lucio Fulci's shooting, his color schemes, his mannerisms as a director, his mannerisms with uh, his mannerisms behind the camera. And I think it's things that start as early as the 1960s, but I had mentioned Beatrice Cincy. It's also known as the conspiracy of torture. You really start seeing pain. You And, and the whole plight of that movie, I think, is female-centric, woman-centric. I don't know if that's a term. But Fulci was constantly dogged as being a misogynist. And even in his own words, he claimed to be a misogynist. But there's such a weird thought to it, I guess, after you're exposed to who he is and the idea of perhaps what he considered his misogyny to be. And on screen, women typically are always treated incredibly brutally. Beatrice Cincy is no different. It's, it's about an Italian woman who plots the death of her father, doesn't actually do it, but is found guilty for it, and it's not incredibly violent. It's not anywhere near as exasperated with blood and, and death and pain and torture as Fulci's later work, even going a, a year or two after this, you, you were presented with. But there is just something desperately lonely, and I think really you start to kick off the, the, the truly terrifying aspect of what Fulci was capable of as a director with movies like this because you are invoked with a lot of imagery and you feel a lot of pain, especially at the end of the movie. The end of the movie is just one of those, like, Homer Simpson dope moments. Dope! It gets you. And then you start moving into, the, like, the, the Giallo era. Things like a lizard and a woman's skin, don't torture a duckling, and the psychic. But in between this era, you also have White Fang and the Four of the Apocalypse. White Fang being, yes... That White Fang with Franco Nero, the very first film version of White Fang, a massive production for Lucio Fulci, something that was, I think, probably ultimately meaningless to him. It didn't have a lot of soul to it, but that, again, is a different story and getting a bit too deeper than I want to get into things. Then he did Four of the Apocalypse, something that I think, and this is, I'm just paraphrasing here also from Fulci for Fake, because this is something you'll hear in the film, a horror film that is masked as a Western movie, and it does have a lot of early slasher aspects, though it, God, it drags. The soundtrack is one of the most phenomenal things for the movie, which marks the very first time Fabio Frizi and Lucio Fulci worked together and combined their just great essences. Two people that 
were meant to be together. I also feel that for Sergio Salvati, that these two guys, they needed to be together. Sergio and Fulci were like peas and carrots. And two later on, you've got Dardando Sacchetti. There are a lot of formulas to Lucio Fulci. He on his own was a genius behind the camera. He was a wonderful photographer and he was a terrific writer. But like at the end of Power Rangers, when they all combine and become that one big giant robot, if he had this formula of, of four or five guys that just understood him, the art was devastating. The art was the beyond, you know what I mean? Devastating. Several years after Fulci's wife died, his daughter Camilla, who he seemed to, to treat as a treasure, he seemed to really adore his daughter. And I don't mean to say that in a sense of he, he loved one more than the other, because you learn from both of them that it's not so much that Lucio Fulci was a cold father, he just didn't seem to present his affection. Something that you will see as a note with a lot of the men in his movies. If they're not filled with egotistical bravado, they're usually just horrible communicators and they can't quite figure out what's going to get... They can't quite figure out how to save the day until a woman is involved. But there is so much violence toward women present in Lucio Fulci's work that it's really a, a hard scale. You can get with the understanding of, of... And I mean, really, this really pins on watching Fulci for fake where I'm coming from and some of this understanding I've learned, his mindset is just, and, and this is the myths, this is the whole chorus echoing again of the myths and legends of Lucio Fulci. Years and years and years and years and years of Joe Schmoes talking about Lucio Fulci and writing about he invokes sin and, and this and that in movies that it really quite wasn't there is the problem. And it's not anyone in specific, it's not any magazine or any specific genre writers, it's just the fact that so much has been said that was neither, for one, Fulci died in 96, so he couldn't answer a lot of this, but in real life, before he died, he would be interviewed and would just spout bullshit. He would lie, maybe to have fun, maybe to just, you know, get his jollies off and screw with whomever's interviewing him, but also, too, and this is just projecting here, I think a lot of his boastful nature and a lot of his self-myth-making was for the fact that he never felt a sense of achievement or pride. You touch upon a lot of very serious things that have always been wondered, a lot of things that I think as fans people have always questioned, like the animosity between Dario Argento and Lucio Fulci. Things like that aren't heavily addressed. There are some nice stories, and that's pretty much all they are, nice stories about the two. But there is so much pain in, in Lucio Fulci's life, even moving into the mid-70s, he took all of it and it started to reflect deeply into his work. And I bring up Dario Argento because going into the 80s, I still stand by it, opera is his last decent picture. Till now, like, he's not made another good one ever again. But for some reason, Argento is always spoken of with this big flouncy air. Dario Argento, the great, he did Suspiria. Yeah, he did Suspiria, but have you seen Stendhal Syndrome? Did you see that Dracula movie with Rutger Hauer and the giant praying mantis? I know he did Suspiria. I'm very well aware of it. But we talk about him like he's Orson Welles, and while we're on his subject, too, ah, fuck, what, the first three or four were really, really, really great. That one touch of evil with Charlton Heston, that was pretty good, too. But come on. I might be being a bit of a, a self-inflated Fulci fan here. But you lay out the collective fucking works. I'm not about to say he's better than Orson Welles. You can fucking <laughs> let out that sigh. Is this half-baked asshole going to say Lucio Fulci makes better movies than Orson Welles? Whoa! No, I'm not. But I think if you lay out his collective works and you look at uh, the core, the, the primordial era, the late 70s to the mid-80s of Lucio Fulci, some of the stuff 
some of the visuals, which again, you know, you've got like Sergio Salvetti to be a lot of thanks for that. Fabio Frizi, when you're listening to it, the combination of Lucio Fulci and all these other artists and the products that he put out at that time period are goddamn near perfect. And I don't care if you're not a genre fan. I just don't give a shit. Watch it for its artistic integrity. Watch it for how it's shot and framed and just goddamn it. Watch The Beyond. David Warbeck rules. Just Katriana McCall. Come on. I'm just trying to trick people into watching The Beyond. <sighs> You've got this whole kind of criterion ideology with people sometimes. I'm not trying to pick on this specific company. But some people only watch art films. And I think you're missing out on so much because one, anything can be an art film. And two, discluding genre films is not art. That's just petty and stupid because some of the finest art ever produced, whether you like it or not, is genre films. And some of the finest artists, whether you like it or not, came from genre films. Guys like Abel Ferrara and Lucio Fulci. But ideas are not identity. People confuse myth and legends with the true identity. And what Lucio Fulci's identity seemingly was was a very, very broken man, a very depressed man who tried his hardest to get through every day. After his wife's suicide in the mid-70s, his daughter Camilla was injured horribly, her back was broken, in an equestrian accident, and that just was more of the big cloud that seemed to follow him. He just couldn't seem to recover from the pain. But he was a very bubbly man. I mean, when he wasn't yelling at people for standing in the wrong place or taking their jackets off or getting a line wrong, his friends, his, his family, the people that were closest with him always knew him as... Just not what you'd expect Lucio Fulci to be, I guess. It's just something that's almost breathtaking and warming to see these friends of his talk about his laugh. And it's like, you know, you always hear with George Romero how beautiful and friendly he was and his bear hugs, and he was just one hell of a guy. There's nothing else anyone has ever said about George Romero privately or openly outside of great guy, smoked a lot great guy. Outside of this this persona Fulci created for himself, his literal Fulci for fake, hence the title of the movie, his his wrestling persona, you know, he, he became this heel, this machismo-fueled, yelling, angry guy, but deep down inside he was just a little teddy bear. He was a crazy-haired teddy bear covered in cigarette ash that couldn't take care of himself. He, he outside of filmmaking, Fulci couldn't lift a finger and get anything else done. He could write, he could direct, and he could shoot, but he just couldn't even take care of himself. His daughter Camilla states multiple times that she ended up having to be more of a mother and wife than a daughter because he just was almost inept outside of being able to project truly his pain. Earlier in life, I think, it was the lust and the want to create and to be a somebody and to be something and to be uh, to have a sense of achievement, to have a sense of fulfillment. And I think after devastating things happen to people, your life completely changes, and most of that became a focal point for him to express his pain artistically. But death has that effect on people. When you lose someone you love, there's only really two ways to handle it, that you can make death a mortal enemy. You are terrified of it, and you hate it with all of your heart. Or it becomes your friend, and it's just something that's commonplace because it's what you know and it's what you're used to. And when bad things continuously keep happening, what other outlook do you have outside of being negative? But instead of being a droopy Debbie Downer, which to an extent he was, Fulci sunk himself into work. He never stopped shooting. When he stopped shooting, he died. That's, that's really what happened. I mean, from 1948, almost solidly until his death, he shot back to back to back to back to back over 60 pictures. His last film, I believe it was in 1991, where he unfortunately died in 1996, and I really blame it. He couldn't shoot. The same people that celebrated and loved Dario Argento's panning and flopping films at the era 
wouldn't even give Fulci a couple dollars to make something. And he was somebody that you could make money stretch with. A cheap product with Lucio Fulci still turned out okay. Devil's Rock, it's not that good. But hey, it's watchable. Enigma? Manhattan Baby. That's one fucking loosely connected movie, though. Whew. But it's watchable. That's my point. We're not going to do an overall critique here of uh, the, the 80s era Lucio Fulci films. Some are gems, man. Some are terrific, and I hold them super closely in my heart. Some are fucking garbage. But that comes down to budgetary problems and acting, and, you know, there's a whole different approach that we could have had with this, but I don't want to get in-depth into this whole body of work thing because there's so many different reasons why I love movies and why I have passion for Conquest, why I like Contraband, The Black Cat, Cat in the Brain, and here and there we'll talk about a few things, because Cat in the Brain is a very important film in the, the canon of Lucio Fulci, as is the New York Ripper, though. The New York Ripper is about a killer who is harming people and going after women because he's got a daughter crippled and uh, dying rapidly in a hospital bed, just rotting away, and this is what's fueled him, and originally the story wasn't supposed to be that way, and I, it obviously is a personal touch. Lucio Fulci's devastating worry. His daughter Camilla broke her back. They told her she probably wouldn't walk again, and thankfully later on in her life she was able to regain that and worked very deeply with her father. Baffles me as to how the whole rumor that she died in a car accident went on for so long, because up until Wax Mask, it looks like Anatella and Camilla were both steadily working and being working around their father. Fulci for Fake actually marks truly the very first time she's ever appeared on camera in an interview about her dad, which is somewhat sorrowful that so much myth can be surrounding someone and no one fact checks it no one fact checks it at all but you know the fright and fear can be said for anybody's political nature and any country and any source of news you get on facebook and it's just non-stop bullshit and lies and you wonder to yourself well is any of this real that's the myth and legend of lucio fulci how much of it is real? And, I, you know, you're not really given a lot of clear-cut answers throughout this documentary that also serves as a narrative picture, that also serves as a biography. What you're given, more or less than anything else, is a, a, a true exposure to Lucio Fulci, an exposure to a human being. I think it's like the gods kind of step down from Mount Olympus, and you get to look at them, you get to see them, and that's really what... That's, that's okay, there there we go. That's how I'd like to refer to this movie, because you do. You get to take this man off his pedestal. You take this golden god to so many horror fans. Fulci fans are unlike any other genre fans. John Carpenter fans will argue over John Carpenter's body of work. Wes Craven fans will do the same thing. Romero fans always have, so they're either die hard this, die hard that. But when it comes to somebody like Lucio Fulci, it is everyone's welcome. Oh, you, oh, man, I've not seen that. What's that about? Really? Somebody's face gets burned off? Fulci fans, you can see somebody wearing a, a Fulci Live shirt from Rotten Cotton in a bar and walk across that bar and talk to somebody and make a friend no matter fucking what's going on because there is just something unifying about that that passion of knowing that you've seen these same things as somebody and it doesn't seem to connect with other directors it doesn't seem to feel as fluent there's there's something almost like a club membership of the fact that you've seen a lucio fulci movie and they're not even that rare anymore blue underground grindhouse everybody has different versions i mean i know right now there's like 52 versions of the new york ripper that you can get widely available very very popular it's lucio fulci is almost becoming a household horror name. But back in the day, there was something secular and there was a bond about being able to share that with somebody. And it just isn't, it just isn't the gore. It just isn't the violence. I think it's the understanding and 
Uh, two, it was the myth. You never sat and just talked about Lucio Fulci movies. It would always be, well, did you know Poltergeist was inspired by City of the Living Dead? No shit, truly was, man. There was always some perpetuation of the myth and lore and legend of Lucio Fulci, which, again, that's something that he more than likely said to somebody, and it was just taken as honest, straight fact. Which, two... <laughs> is the beauty in returning to Fulci for fake it's some of the beauty of it because you take everything from this you you you're watching Camilla you're watching Sergio you're watching all of these these humans but it's almost fictional i mean it, it's it's stranger than fiction really because you've perpetuated as a Fulci fan so many ideas in your head you're hearing these things and it's almost like it's a it's it's almost like it's not true it's almost like Fulci never even really existed. The Lucio Fulci that we know, the director that we know, the artist that we know, it's almost like he was made up, you know, like it was just a whole fake program and it was little mice and a robot. All right, maybe that's a bit too far, but if you can follow the concept I'm trying to spin for you, it's just a whole different man. When you finish and you are exposed to Fulci for fake, when you get to the end of the movie... I think it's a completely different person that you have been a fan of. And you might not be a fan of him by the end of this. I, I can't speak for everybody. There are really no questions answered, but there are really no questions asked throughout the film either. What you get is this idea returning to how is this a, even a narrative story? You've been talking about biographies and documentaries, Hank. What the fuck? The movie begins with an actor who is going to be portraying Lucio Fulci, and he wants to get to know him better. He wants to actually give an honest and earnest portrayal of, of who Fulci is. So he wants to, in, in the sense of this movie being a narrative, interview the people closest to him. And that's what the direction of this movie is, is this gentleman, this actor, played by actor-writer Nicola Nocello, somebody that the director Simone Scafidi had seen in a film and just thought instantly this guy could play an early Lucio Fulci, which he does an excellent job at in the few scenes that he is invoking the imagery of Lucio Fulci. There's a scene in the film where Nicola Nocello is reenacting the beginning of Cat in the Brain, where Fulci is in his trademark red jacket, and it's a shot above him as he's writing at a table talking about how he's going to kill these women and the movie, you know, one gets strangled and the next one gets hung. Then one gets cut up with a chainsaw and one gets stabbed. Una donna viene uccisa con la cetta. Il volto diviso a metà. Un'altra viene strangolata. Un'altra ancora impiccata. Un'altra tagliata a pezzi con la motosega. Un'altra annegata nell'acqua bollente. La gola dilaniata da un gatto inferocito. Oh. Bruciata viva. Sepolta viva. Torturata. Accecata. Pugnalata. Segata in due. Crocifissa. Decapitata. And 
it's remarkable because if you've seen the film, you kind of catch yourself and think, man, I've never seen it in this, this beautiful quality before. And what you're given with this whole intro narrative plot, it kind of reminds me, to be honest, of Heart of Darkness by Joseph Conrad. Because that book begins with almost a false narrative, that you've got a narrator and then somebody begins narrating story inside the narrator's story. So here you've got this almost false start with this movie is about an actor who is going to be portraying Lucio Fulci and wants to know everything about him. And then you get this, I don't know, fourth wall broken because all the people you're, pre you're presented, all the people that speak of Lucio Fulci, as I had mentioned earlier, they almost come off and become characters of themselves because you're in this universe. You're in this universe of this movie being made about Lucio Fulci. So with itself, Fulci for Fake is perpetuating <laughs> the myth and legends of who Fulci is inside of that because you really are caught in what's real. Something I noted the director had mentioned in an interview was the fact that when Camilla speaks, when Antonella speaks, when anyone talks about Fulci, yes, there is a truth to it, but just as how Lucio would make up facts about himself to kind of make him seem much more esteemed, to make it seem like it was almost inconsequential that he was a filmmaker. Oh, he could have been a fucking the world's greatest cardiologist, and now he's a filmmaker. Isn't that, oh, he's still so good. This, this false level of, of pride. Everything everyone says, too, is, is in their own head. Years and years and years have gone by, so when they're retelling these stories, a lot of things aren't maybe necessarily fabricated, but they've been padded by memories and time and love and situational ideas. And I'm not saying that all the rumors and myths of Lucio Fulci are fake. You can clearly see a, a massive difference. His daughter Camilla speaks of him almost poetically as to where his daughter Antonella doesn't seem to have disdain, but she's much more factual, and she seems to have a much more reality-based idea of who the man was, which is a man that had faults, which is a man that isn't this purported golden horror god that the fans like to make him out to be, that he was a man like all of us that have error. You know, uh, all humans error, all humans make mistakes, and not everyone's perfect, and you are presented so many different angles of that through this movie. You get to hear about his anger, but you get to hear about his love, you get to hear about his kindness, and you get to hear about what really invoked the emotion in Lucio Fulci to make some of the most, to me, terrifying films ever made. Again, The Beyond. God damn it, if The Beyond isn't a good movie. Every Lucio Fulci fan will say the same thing. You'll And that's, that's going back to, like, the weird collective love and passion of Lucio Fulci fans and how you can just be across the room from somebody and see their shirt go over and just a friendship will form right then and there. Everyone collectively says the beyond is just amazing. Do you know why? Because it fucking is! That's why! That's exactly why! It's fucking brilliant! But so much of Fulci's work is. So much of Fulci's work is underappreciated because it has this mask of misogynistic violence, the New York Ripper. Otherwise, another Italian entry into the American slasher, trying to capitalize off the sleazy and crime-filled streets of New York at the time. But it happens to make its mark so much more successfully than American slashers of the time period. It, it actually has a feeling, it has a point. In an era where slashers are just becoming commercial and dying, you have something representative of total fear. That's something Fulci knew personally. I think death is the driving force in his work, and it's the, the pain and the, the scar never healing, and him having to deal over and over and over every single day with 
never being appreciated, and I think a lot of that really comes from the mark he took when his wife died, and it's reverting back to the whole thing with Dario Argento. You can't tell why some people get more appreciation than the others. Three months before Fulci died, he came to the United States to New York City and did the Fangoria convention, and was greeted by thousands and thousands and thousands of fans, and it blew his mind. He had no idea so many people appreciated and cared about his work, and he died, and it's just like the biggest woe that his entire life he craved just respect. Just respect even from his peers. Going into the late 80s, it was just constant bullshit from the studios. But at the same time, equally bad garbage was being put out by, I guess, more agreeable names. Here lies a problem with Lucio Fulci. His bitter and brutal honesty. If he didn't like you, he would tell you to fuck off. And if he didn't like what was going on, he would tell you to fuck off. Unfortunately... Filmmaking is an industry based on totally kissing ass, uh, as much ass as you can fit and fit inside and around your mouth. You've got to kiss it. Fulci didn't do that. If he didn't like something, he made it very verbally well known. I don't fucking like this, and this is how it's going to be. That doesn't work, and it didn't seem to work in his favor. And unfortunately, there's nothing that can be, you know, there's, there's no saving that. There's nothing that could be done. And everyone that worked with Lucio Fulci felt sort of the same way of he was very outspoken, and that kind of was an issue. And by no means am I trying to say, hey, don't be outspoken. But if you're trying to get production money in the 1980s from an Italian company, maybe you shouldn't tell him to fuck off. I think some of the problem, too, with Lucio Fulci is he's a bit of a genre terrorist, I like to say. He would just assault whatever he could get into. After his wife's death in the late 1960s, he began moving into thrillers and giallos. He only did one crime film, a film called Contraband, which I thought was a pretty interesting movie, most specifically because it's got one righteous face-burning-off scene. I don't know how else to say that. Somebody's face gets totally burned off. It's pretty righteous. You have something similar in Cat in the Brain with that whole head-in-the-microwave-melting sequence, too. Joe D'Amato did that better. I'm sorry. Totally did that better. Many years before, too. But he would go and take a western and turn it into a horror picture, cleverly disguised as a western. He would assault your senses with his, going in, uh, I'd say, 73 onward, his unique touch and awful, visceral display of gore, a word I love to use, decadent. Fulci was a decadent gore guy, and some of the most original and beautiful displays of horror effects, I truly think, come from the work of Lucio Fulci over Tom Savini. Yes, Savini is responsible for some of the most beautiful American effects, but to me, that eyeball-gouging scene in the beyond, even though it looks like a marshmallow popping, it seems to affect me a lot more than when Disco Boy gets his head blown off in Maniac. But I digress. I clearly think I'm exposing myself as a, as a pretty big Fulci fan here, and and getting us back on track with Fulci for fake, that's some of what makes this just such a, a wonderful ride. I never thought that I would feel the way I feel about Lucio Fulci now, and I'll admit here right now with you, my Death by DVD audience, movie made me cry. Learning about some of the things that happened to him and now realizing some iconic sequences of his movies, some of this stuff was so utterly personal, disgustingly personal, that... His way of dealing with this pain by was one, becoming a workhorse, and two, exposing it to everyone, and you'd never know otherwise. That's what makes Fulci so unique. That's some of the, uh, I don't know, just the wonderlust when you watch his movies, trying to figure out, how did he come up with this? How could somebody think of something so awful and so horrifying? And it was his own anxiety and depression inside of himself that was pushing these thoughts and these things outward. 
That's where Cat in the Brain becomes so important. It's a movie about Lucio Fulci himself directing a movie whose violence has affected him so much he begins going insane and imagining he's murdering someone. But somebody actually may be murdering people. It's a very convoluted plot, and I'll give it to you. Cat in the Brain is a tense story to get through. Not the sharpest, not the greatest directed Fulci film. But I said this earlier, his best films aren't always the most significant, just because technical errors may lay in the way. And this was a company-produced film. His daughter, Camilla, carried this movie. This was her art. This is something that she triumphantly brought to the screen, and I love this movie. I feel very strongly of it, but there's technical errors, and most that's bullshit. By the way, just that whole term, whenever that's brought up on Death by DVD, there's technical errors. That's just fucking jargon and bullshit that critics and reviewers like to throw in. I don't know, the camera was a little bit shaky here, and I personally, I would have done different lighting. Who the fuck cares? We're not <laughs> and I, what, what am I talking about, right? Because this is a movie critique show. But that's out the door tonight. That's not the whole, I, you know, and when I bring it up, when I talk about Cat in the Brain, I actually want to take back what I just said, because, yeah, technical errors, whatever, fuck it. The whole idea of this, the whole the whole concept of, of Fulci playing himself and his whole statement and sentiment, because at this time period, going into 1990, 1989, you've got, and, and especially in the United States, the MPAA and Tipper Gore and all of her people that are just, we got to put a label on that because they say ass. We don't want our kids knowing curse words. Nobody can listen to anthrax. Fuck you, D. Snyder. I horrible tip I, I'm not good at impersonations I'm sorry that's not what different gore sounds like everybody's blaming movies and metal and Satan wrongly for all the violence especially in the United States because I'll let you know about something all the violence in the United States is caused by the United States stop teaching people xenophobia hate stop teaching people to be afraid of their neighbors teach people love and maybe literal Nazis wouldn't be out marching the streets in Hawaiian shirts of all things Ugh. I think Fulci's commentary on the whole matter is far more successful and hysterical than anyone else's. Not only is he showing something incredibly personal, the whole point of the violence affecting him the way it does, I think, is a sentiment to the fact that he never got the appreciation as this violent gore director. People say that they were influenced by Lucio Fulci, but here he was destitute with no self-value and no value from his peers. You have that on one hand of that being a statement that's almost animosity, not just toward horror fans, but everybody in the industry. And then you have him being affected so violently and so horrifyingly by what has been happening to him his entire life. These awful and perverse depictions of violence. They finally catch up with him. They're finally destroying him. Which, in terms to speak, kind of is what happened to him. The industry turned their back on Fulci. The 1990s were bitter and led to his death. He had a heart attack after he had finished shooting Murder Rock and got a blood transfusion after that, with, which led to viral hepatitis. Again, this black clown just kept seemingly following him his entire life. Pushing and pushing and pushing. Some of his best art came from this absolute bitter sadness, but... If he had had any sort of appreciation, and this is something that Fulci for Fake, I think, really represents and shows, if Fulci had been appreciated the way he had felt he needed to have been appreciated, who knows what the future would have told? Who knows what his family life would have been like? But, I mean, all of that is so preposterous. You know, oh, uh, sure, things would have been different if my wife didn't die. Yeah, no shit. Duh. That's just the way it is. His art really is from pain, and that's what makes... 
the core, the secular Lucio Fulci, the late 70s to early mid 80s era of his work is just devastatingly horrifying. And what makes it horrifying more than anything else is the truth behind it. Not the mystifying facts of Ebon, not Dunwich, not flesh-eating zombies. It's just the man behind the mask. And that eloquently is how this film starts off with Nicola Nacello pulling his Fulci makeup off, somewhat reminiscent of Patrick Bateman in American Psycho, removing the mask just to expose another. As the narrative idea of this movie is Nicola not able to really connect to Lucio Fulci, him wanting to learn more, the desire to learn what was Fulci or what is fake, what he really represented. At the end of this film, I think everything is wrapped up very neatly and tidily in a bow by Antonella Fulci. She has some very stone-cold facts about the man, and what is remarkable about them is you're able to have a personification of humanity with Lucio Fulci, something I think otherwise wasn't really reachable by fans, because he always has been a god, and he is always set upon the figurative Mount Olympus as such god, and nobody's ever really gotten to know him. When you get to know and humanize somebody, I think there is a new level of art. There is a new level of appreciation for said art also, that you are able to reach almost a nirvana, because when you can understand pain, you can understand art so much better. Fulci for Fake is not an A through Z biography. It is not everything in the world. It's not his birth, his history, but what it certainly is, is his life and death. And you, I don't know, you feel like you know him. You feel like you know everyone involved. You feel like you've been sitting with them having a cigarette and coffee for hours. And there's something very beautiful about that. Something I have to tip my hat to Simone Scafidi because I feel like he invited me into his world. He is somebody just like me, all of this adoration I've been spouting for Lucio Fulci. He's somebody that worshipped him earlier on in life, in the early 1990s, as an Italian youth. He hunted and saw his films the same way many of us fans did. We couldn't get the full version. We had to hunt for bootlegs and VHS. It was a wild, wild west attempting to connect to your love, too, which might be some of the passion Fulci fans end up having for each other, especially if you're a little bit older. You'll remember the struggle of trying to see some of the maestro's work, and there's a connection with other people. When's the first time you saw The Beyond? Things like that. They go a long way when you have that connection, and... Fulci has managed to always provide that, and it, I think exposing all the true myths, I think getting down to the brass tacks of what's fact and what's not is just the worst way to approach this man. It's the worst way to approach learning him and letting his art become a part of your life. The myth, the legend, all of that that surrounds it, that's what makes Lucio Fulci, and that's what makes some of the excitement. Fulci for Fake managed to not only personify that, but maybe even kick it up a notch, because really, I mentioned this earlier, everything we learn in this movie are through the memories and thoughts of other people that thoughtfully or more realistically had a, a hand in his life, or part of his life was a part of his grand story, and so these people... They have the opportunity to tell it any way they want to, and that's that's just the beautiful thing about Fulci. How better could it be? What other way would you want it? The myth, the legend, or the truth and the facts, and being able to humanize him and, and, and still have that extra step, that, like, cloud aura uh, around Lucio Fulci. I mean, to me, I always just see this kind of gold aura about the man, even photos of him, because in my mind, he's just one of the, the best, one of the gods, one of the greatest. Not just with horror, 
not just a genre icon. I think the work of Lucio Fulci is absolutely outstanding. I think the art of Lucio Fulci is absolutely outstanding. I don't care if you don't like horror movies. I think it needs to be examined specifically because art deserves to be fucking appreciated. You cannot box yourself. You cannot go, I don't like this. If you don't like it, then you don't like art. I'll be just that daft. I'll, I'll, and it's not saying if you don't like horror, you don't like art. If you're not able to expose yourself to something on a different plateau than where you're at, then you don't like art. You're not able to look outside of whatever spectrum you've gotten yourself stuck on. And that's, too, taking us back to good old Lucio Fulci. Not the type of man he was. An angry and bitter, alone, almost capableness of taking care of himself. Just a very bizarre man. But an extravagant artist. A, a, a beautifully decadent, gorgeous artist. And just the capability that Lucio Fulci had behind the camera, we will not see again. Somebody like him, uh, they're, they're, a, they're a diamond in the rough. J he's like a Jimi Hendrix type. You know, you, you only really get one in your lifetime of just something so devastatingly wonderful. So... I just he knew how to the thing is man when it comes to being a writer when it comes to being a director when it comes to being any form of artist you got to know what you're going to do before you do it and Lucio Fulci just had the sixth sense he just knew he he could put a camera anywhere he could run a shot Lucio Fulci was a maestro that's why they call him the maestro his legend his lore is forever Lucio Fulci is forever rotten cotton baby Fulci lives Good old Chaz Ballin, man. Fulci is forever, whether you like it or not. The work of Lucio Fulci will remain. It will be influential. Millions and millions and millions of people across the globe will love it. It will always be a power. It is a rotten, dirty shame that Lucio Fulci never got to see the gathering masses of legions such as there are now that love him. People with tattoos up and down their entire body celebrating his work. People like us that are ranting and raving into a microphone about just how fucking great he is. People that make documentaries slash narrative films slash biographies about him. People that celebrate his work as an influence. Tarantino, man, I mean, he constantly raves about how, you know, he's definitely, definitely a big influence of mine. You know, I'm really, I'm a big fan. I'm a really big fan. You know, I, I, I'm a big fan. Well, that's, I sound like Vincent Gallo. See, I can't do impersonations. Fuck Vincent Gallo, by the way. Uh, <clears throat> fuck him in his dirty mouth. I gotta take that off my acting sheet. Cannot do impersonations. I felt at the end of Fulci for Fake bitter. I felt alone. I felt despondent. And I don't know if that was specifically something Scafidi wanted you to feel, but I, I think for me personally, I've had such a massive misunderstanding of somebody I've adored and loved for so long, it made me almost angry. Chuck D once said, don't believe the hype. Don't, 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 don't believe the hype. <laughs> don't, 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 don't believe the hype. Boy, if that ain't true. One thing I can tell you, though, Fulci lives. So with that, take some time and explore Fulci for fake. It was a joyride. It was emotional. It was everything I could have asked for, and I never did as a fan. All of these things that I... I feel like I got a gift by finally being able to sit down and watch this movie. I feel so much closer to art. I feel so much closer to something that has truly been a lifelong appreciation, something that has been a lifelong fascination. I have uh, I've seen Lucio Fulci as a hero since I was 15 or 16 years old. 
I, I've just been mesmerized by him and his capability and his artistic vision. I've just always been jealous and I've always had such had such a crush, I guess you could say, on his work and his his just who he was, the idea of who he was, the myth of who he was. And now that I've been able to familiarize myself through these brief glimpses, almost these narrative clips, uh, almost these narrative adventures from his friends and family, I, I, I don't know, I feel just such a, a sense of adoration. I feel uh, it's incredibly empty and it's dark and it's sad because one part of the spectrum, you have to acknowledge that Fulci ultimately died alone inside of his own head. He never felt the appreciation he needed, the appreciation he felt he deserved as an artist. But his legend and his lore and the amount of love, the energy people have for him now is just forever. You really, it's not going to be captured any better than Fulci lives. So with that, all I can humbly suggest is to procure yourself a copy of Fulci for Fake. Take this ride. Just be forewarned, you're going to expose yourself, if you're a fan previously of Lucio Fulci's work, to an entire world I don't think you were familiar with. I certainly wasn't. And I'm not Stephen Thrower. That's the only person I'm sure that watched Fulci for Fake and wasn't surprised by any of this. Stephen Thrower wrote a book called Beyond Terror, the films of Lucio Fulci. It was originally published in 1999. So I think I leave you tonight in a more thoughtful nature than we usually do on Death by DVD. Fulci for Fake. It's worth your time, and I think it's worth your money. The good chaps at Severin released Fulci for Fake as a limited North American Blu-ray run. You should be able to find it on Amazon. Outside of that, I hope it's streaming somewhere. I hope all Fulci fans are able to see this movie, but I would like to stress... This isn't the definitive. This isn't the beefiest information that you can get on Lucio Fulci. What you have here is an incredibly touching and thoughtful and almost soft. It's such a strange thing to use the word soft talking about somebody like Lucio Fulci, but almost a soft approach to a man that otherwise you would have considered one of the most brutal individuals in film history, one of the most perverse individuals of film history, one of the most questionable I mean, some of the graphic violence that Lucio Fulci exposes you to as an audience member is on par with some of the questionable aspects of, of Pasolini's films. And we talk about Pasolini on one hand with this utmost admiration of how he was this, this, this beautiful, outstanding artist, but he's a fucking pedophile, as to where Lucio Fulci is, oh, he was perverse, he made filth, he made pornography, he made horror pictures. And that's where horror is generalized. It's pornography. It's, it's a lesser form of art. But for some fucking reason, we have Pier Paolo Pasolini on a higher scale than Lucio Fulci. Maybe I'm crass, but I think that's incredibly wrong. I, <laughs> I think it's really wrong. I don't think that's the perspective we should have at all as film fans, critics, connoisseurs of art, horror, filth, purveyors of filth, purveyors of perversion. Fulci is far superior. And with that, I ask you to sail off with me in a boat called Perversion. Follow the path of Lucio Fulci, indulge in this man's horrifying body of work, and you too shall live in terror. The ashtray is full and the bottle is empty. Good night.
is recorded in front of a dead studio audience. On the next episode of Death by DVD. Street smart teenager Hank the World's Greatest is living in West Philadelphia with his mother when he gets into a fight with a bully named Omar while shooting hoops. He's then sent to live with his wealthy relatives in Bel Air. Hank's hip and happening lifestyle often clashes with that of his relatives, especially that of his goofy, super preppy, Tom Jones-obsessed cousin, I Alexander Nash. Find out what happens on the next episode of The Fresh Prince of Death by DVD. Portions of today's programming have been mechanically reproduced. The management and the staff wish you a pleasant good night and good morning. Death by DVD has reached the end of another day of broadcast. Death by DVD is broadcast from on top of the blue crystal sunshine mountain in any town USA with offices at 123 Easy Street with transmitters on top of the Empire State Building in the Eiffel Tower.